Good morning. If you ask the average person who is famous Amos, who do you think they're talking about? Cookies. Now, unfortunately, I did not bring any cookies with me today. However, however, a family in the church has a connection. And that was just for emphasis. Um, and so there are some free baked goods up in Lefevre Hall. But you cannot get them until after the sermon. Do I need a Is it me or you? Is it them? Take it out of the pocket? All right. You're going to take it out of the pocket. I like the emphasis, but... All right. Where were we? Oh, we were talking about cookies. Anyway. But just like in the past, prophets are not fondly thought of. Prophets get a bad rap. Especially one like... Amos, who is bringing a message of judgment. Here's how the book of Amos begins. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Josiah, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. Should I just ditch it? I think that was a yes. Bring this down a little bit. All right. Oh, they're coming in with a backup. How's this? It's better. All right. Great. Let's see. We just finished about an earthquake. All right. Now, Tekoa is located in Judah. It's about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. And at this time, the kingdom is divided into two. There's Judah has a good king and Uzziah. And the northern kingdom, Israel, has a bad king in Jeroboam, and we're talking about around 750 B.C. Now, there's relative peace in the northern kingdom. Israel has probably reached the height of its economic prosperity. Trade is flourishing. Times are good. Urbanization is growing. There's no large-scale wars going on right now. There's no regional disputes going on right now. And as I said, times are good. There's peace, prosperity, prestige. 
I mean, you could run a political campaign on that. Israel took pride in their military, but unfortunately, there's a lot of hypocrisy. And along with the riches comes a decadent lifestyle, idolatry, sexual immorality, exploitation of the poor. There's also rampant judicial corruption. Does any of this sound familiar? This is who Amos is being sent to. And it would not be a stretch of the imagination to say that Amos is being sent to us also. Do we have decadent lifestyles in America? Check. Do we have idolatry in America? Check. Do we have sexual immorality? Check. Do we have judicial corruption? Check. You can just check the news and you'll have all the confirmation that you need. The sinfulness of America would make even the nation of Israel blush in shame. Now, Amos is not a professional prophet, but he was called by God to be a prophet. Here we have a man who was called from his employment in a rural town to face down kings and priests. This is a wonderful example how spiritual gifts are more important than academic training for ministry. God is more concerned about the message than about the man. God can use anyone, and he does. Now, God also has a sense of humor. He could have used someone from Israel, but he chose to take someone from rural Judah to speak to the big city folk in Israel. So how would you like to leave your little town in rural Lancaster County and be sent to New York City, or LA, or Chicago. Now remember, these two countries, although they're brothers, they're not friends, they're more like frenemies. They do not like each other. It would sort of be like taking a Dallas Cowboy fan and asking them to go to Philadelphia and talk to the Eagles fans it's not going to be pretty, is it? Okay, so if you're online, you're going to have a two-minute break because we're going to show a video that we cannot live stream. But it was worse for Amos. It wasn't funny. He was challenged. He was persecuted. But he's faithful, and he delivers the message. Some scholars believe that Amos delivered this message over the course of one year. Can you imagine one year of that? And then according to scripture, he disappeared. Whether he was killed, he was banished, or he finished and returned home, we do not know. We hear nothing about Amos ever again. It's his words, not himself, that is pivotal. If we were to give a one-sentence overview of this book and Amos' message, it would be, Yahweh the lion sends desolation upon the earth. Now, doesn't that sound cheery? Yahweh the lion sends desolation upon the earth. That's actually taken from a commentary. Desolation, destruction, despair, doom, 
this book of the Bible probably did not make Tom Hubbard's list of 10 favorite books. Probably didn't make your list of 10 favorite books. When we're two verses into Amos, we read, The Lord roars from Zion. This kind of gives us an idea where we're going. Now we can see why we're not sure if Amos made it out alive. Think about this. What happens when someone that's not from around here talks to people in Lancaster County and tells them they're doing things wrong? It doesn't end pretty, does it? But this is God's word, and it's important. And the word he shares could just have easily been said about our nation today. The first two chapters are quite a list of who God is angry with. Damascus, Gaza, the Philistines, Tyr, Edom, Ammonites, Moab, Judah, Israel. No one in the region is spared. And for the surrounding nations, their punishment and doom is because how they have treated one another. They have waged war. They have carried other nations into exile. They have pursued each other with the sword, bringing death. They have ripped open pregnant women. They have burned each other alive, even burning the bones of the kings. God tells these nations that he's going to send fire against their walls. Fire for fire. He will break them down, cut off their inhabitants. He will deliver them up to other nations into exile and he will have them perish from the earth. Now this is all said while they are enjoying military might, peace, and prosperity. But Yahweh the lion does indeed send destruction upon them. Desolation, destruction, despair, doom. We don't hear about Moab anymore, or Tyr, or the Ammonites, or Moab. They're gone. The lion roared. And when it comes to Judah and Israel, their offenses are they have rejected the law. They have gone astray. They have chased money and riches. They have done sexual perversion. They have chased after other gods. They have gotten drunk. They have punished the former prophets. They have trampled the poor. And they have denied justice to men. And judgment is going to come very soon. God is going to press them down. He's going to trample them like grapes. They will not be able to stand in the day of adversity. They will have no strength. Even the mighty will flee away naked. They will be plundered. Yahweh the lion sends desolation. Desolation, destruction, despair, and doom. Now, God makes some amazing statements toward Israel as we come to chapter 3. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? 
Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? You only have I known. Now, this does not mean that God did not know the nations of the earth, but that he intimately knew Israel. He is the reason for their existence. They have a covenant with God. And yet, they do not expect God to do anything except to bless them because they are his people. And this is where Amos comes in. God has a wake-up call for his people. God then proceeds to ask seven questions. The first is about the behavior of individuals. The next two are about lions as hunters. Then two questions about snaring birds in a trap. Then the final two questions about events in cities. The answer to the first six questions is no. And on the seventh question, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? The answer is also no. And that's the important question. Now I want you to think about that. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? And the answer is no. This would have been shocking to Israel, and I think it is shocking to us. Israel only expected help from God, and they are sadly mistaken. There are curses as well as blessings to the covenant. And if they deserve it, which they do, God will punish. And then God reinforces the role of the prophets. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. As an act of kindness, God reveals to the prophets what he intends to do in the hopes that they will repent. And if they do not repent then when disaster strikes, they will know why it has come. That it is God and Yahweh the lion who sends desolation. The nation, its people, have sinned and broken the covenant with God. And God, therefore, must punish Israel. He must punish Israel. It's not that he should, it's that he must punish. And unfortunately today, we have a similar, similar tendency in the church. We like to emphasize that God is love, that we are his people, that we're saved by grace, that God gives grace and mercy. We are all about the love, joy, peace, and grace which God is. But we tend to forget that God is also a holy God. Judgment is real, 
And this is an aspect of Christianity that many people do not want to hear. Judgment and punishment is not just an Old Testament thing. 1 Peter 4.17, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Where does judgment begin? With us. Hebrews chapter 10. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Yahweh the lion sends desolation upon the earth. The lion is roared. Amos must speak. The lion of the tribe of Judah has roared, and we must listen. There was no fear of God in those days in Israel, and there is no fear of God today in America. And Amos has a word for it. And we have just begun. Amos continues his testimony against the house of Jacob, against Israel. The punishment that is coming will be against men, women, and children. No one will be spared. And this is made plain in chapter 4 with the prophet calling out the women of Israel. He says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. A little background. Bashan was known for its cattle. So the imagery is fitting. The women, just like the cows of Bashan, are going to be led to slaughter. There will be so many dead women that they will be picked up with meat hooks, dragged out through the city, and thrown away into the valley. It's not a pretty picture. Desolation, destruction, despair, doom. Continuing on, God reveals how he has warned Israel time and time again to repent. God has brought famine to them. God has withheld rain from them. God has brought blight and locust and pestilence. God has taken away some of them already into captivity, but they have not repented. So Amos declares in chapter 4, verse 12, 
Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. As the author of Hebrews told us, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, and Israel is about to. But in the midst of this impending doom, there comes an offer of hope. Three times, Amos declares a way to escape. Amos says, seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. Seek good and not evil. God pleads with his people three times to turn before it's too late. Turn around or I will pass through your midst. Now in this case, passing through your midst is a very scary thought. In Deuteronomy 6.15, it says, For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Or, or Ezekiel 28, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Siddim, and I will manifest my glory in your midst. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I execute judgment and manifest my holiness. Israel is expecting to be blessed, but is going to receive judgment. Many at this time in Israel were hoping for the day of the Lord, a, a day of deliverance, of rescue, a day of blessing, a day of restoration, a day when God will pour out his wrath on his enemies. And Amos has a surprise for them. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or went into a house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? What Amos is announcing is quite a shock to the people of that day. This day will be the opposite of what they are expecting because they do not understand this situation. In essence, Amos is revealing to God's people that they are God's enemy, that they have been rejected by God, and so this coming day of the Lord will not be a blessing like they thought, but will be a day of woe, of desolation, destruction, despair, and doom. Amos now goes on to show just how God has turned from them and where the people of Israel stand in relation to their God. I hate, I despise your feasts, says God, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not even look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not lessen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness 
like an ever-flowing stream. Amos is prophesying here what the book of Leviticus foretold. In Leviticus, God declares, I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters, and I will destroy your high places, and cut down your incense altars, and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate and I will not smell your pleasing aromas. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled. And I will scatter you among the nations and I will unsheath the sword after you and your land shall be a desolation and your cities shall be a waste. Desolation, destruction, despair, and doom. God despises even their feast. He's not going to look upon them. He's tired of the noise. God wants to see action, not just words. They cannot just worship and then turn around and live however they please. They cannot just say they keep the covenant most of the time, then turn around and bring injustice upon others. It's like saying, I keep my marriage covenant. I only commit adultery once a week. And the rest of the time, I am completely faithful to my spouse. Or, I only cheat on my taxes once a year. It doesn't work that way. That's not faithfulness. That is not covenant keeping. That is sin. We need to be faithful every day. We need to live for God daily. We need to repent and seek a holy God. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The idea here is constant, consistent, not wavering, continuous. That's what a stream is. We are to live like a stream. Constant, consistent, not wavering, continuous in our love for God and in our faithfulness. Is that how we're living for God? Constant, consistent, not wavering, continuous. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That is how God wants us to live. And unfortunately for Israel, the time to turn around has gone. Judgment is coming for the people. God has had enough. God declares through Amos, this is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. 
The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. A plumb line, a string with a weight. You hold it and you see if things are straight. For Israel, it showed that they are crooked, that they are sinful. And then comes one of the most horrific passages in all of Scripture. I will never again pass by them. God has turned his back and he's leaving them all alone. The end has come. And there will be no place to hide. If they dig into Sheol, from there shall my hand take them. If they climb to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. From heaven to hell and everywhere in between, God is going to chase them down. There is no escape. There is nowhere to run. No one to help them. God has turned his back. Yahweh, the lion, sends desolation upon the earth. The lion has roared. Amos must speak. The lion of the tribe of Judah has roared, and we must listen. If God used a plumb line in the midst of CNBC, how would we measure up? Israel did not listen to Amos, but I hope we will. The Apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Corinthians, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may, not, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from adultery. The Old Testament was written down for our instruction as an example for us. We are not just to walk away from sin. We are to flee. Now, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. And I have this picture in my mind. There's the small group. It's called the Fellowship of the Ring. 
and they go into a dwarf fortress. And there is this creature that is of fire and fearfulness, and it's approaching them, and it wants to devour and destroy them. Gandalf, who is leading this group, yells to the rest of the group, Fly, you fools! This is what Amos and Paul are telling us. Fly, you fools! Flee from sin. There is grace and there is mercy from the cross, but sin has consequences. Flee from sin. Fly, you fools. Yahweh the lion sends desolation upon the earth. Desolation, destruction, despair, and doom. And if we stopped here, the lessons hopefully learned would be valuable. But there is one more lesson that Amos shares. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. This is foretold in Deuteronomy. When all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Even though there is judgment, there is mercy and grace. God is faithful even when we are not. The not-so-famous Amos, a shepherd of a small rural town, with his message to his brothers and sisters who were in power in high places, the lion is coming, the lion has roared. Team, will you come up while I finish? This is a message that the lion of the tribe of Judah will bring punishment and desolation. This is not popular. It's not welcome. It is definitely not politically correct. But it's a message that is necessary. It's necessary to the people of Israel. It's necessary for us today. May we heed the warnings. And may we embrace the grace. The lion has roared.